It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. The 52 is over. The Cavaliers have won the NBA championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Sexton works on Irving. Hey. The shoot around. Welcome back to the show. The dog days of the offseason are still in full bloom, with most of Cavs' Twitter trying to make sense of the team being linked to and then not linked to Donovan Mitchell. It's been fun. Yeah, Adam, it's either that or breaking down film from past games. You know there isn't much going on when folks are replaying Dean Wade and Jetty Osmond tape. Hopefully, we get some good Colin Sexton news in the near future. Well, Colin, everyone is getting along in the NBA nowadays. I hear the Lakers just traded for Patrick Beverly, who has had a lot of issues with Russell Westbrook. And Kevin Durant has finally said he's staying with the Nets. So everything is good. Has the NBA turned over a new leaf? Well, the season is just around the corner. So obviously teams and players are trying to play it cool, act like everybody is going to get along. I think both situations are going to end pretty poorly. The Lakers were a dumpster fire last season. The Nets weren't a dumpster fire, but Kevin Durant wasn't openly requesting a trade last season. Just Kyrie Irving wasn't openly playing, and James Harden didn't want to play with anybody else. So I think both situations are going to keep trending the way they have been, as poorly as they did last season, and I think they'll continue that way. NBA is a business. All these guys are not friends. They've acted that way for a long time. I think we've all noticed over the years that the modern NBA is a lot more buddy-buddy than what we grew up with. And I think that that's always been a facade. It's always been a sham. Yes, they have their circle of friends, but typically they don't like playing together. These are teams filled with egos, and for good reason. So whenever they talk in the off-seasons of, oh, we're going to get together and we're going to have so much success great but until you're on the court working through plays and going through the adversity of the actual game i don't care you know you guys can play pickup games together all day long and it's a fun time but when you're actually competing together can you get along some of these players like patrick beverly he's made a career off of being somebody everybody hates so good luck going to any team where people want to play with you but yeah like you said this is that time of year where we get to hear the kumbaya stories and we get to find out the reality in a few months. As Adam stated at the top of the show, there were reports earlier this week that the Cavs were pursuing a deal to acquire Utah Jazz guard Donovan Mitchell. Then at the end of the week, it was reported that the Cavs were no longer interested. What do you make of all this noise? Well, when this news first broke, I was a little intrigued and I was curious as to why all of a sudden this was getting some attention again. There were links to Donovan Mitchell earlier in the offseason, and you and I mentioned them briefly on a pod like five or six pods ago. 
and I think we both will agree on this. We were at the time thinking hard pass, and I think we're still kind of of that same mindset. So I was kind of relieved when I heard that the Cavs had pulled their name out of these negotiations. All that being said, I kind of view this as noise from Danny Ainge, the Utah Jazz general manager. He was with the Celtics for a long time. He was a player for the Celtics and a bunch of other places like the Suns. And I see this as a way for Danny Ainge to raise the floor for the asking price for Donovan Mitchell because Toby Altman and the Cavs have made it known throughout the league that Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and Jared Allen are their core group of players. And I think that the Jazz were trying to kind of show the rest of the league, oh, the Cavs might be intrigued with Donovan Mitchell by giving up one of these three quote-unquote core players. And so I think that, again, Ainge is trying to drive up the price for Mitchell because of the fact that he's not really intrigued by what the Knicks are offering. And what the Cavs have is a better core group of players than the Knicks. So if he could land a player of that caliber, then he would much rather do that than get what the Knicks are offering. That's my initial take. What is your what is your take? What are you thinking? This all has me very confused. I think we've said for many months probably a year now, that Sexton's value is understated, at least by the fan base here in Cleveland. And now it seems that it's possibly understated by the Cavs organization. Because if they're interested in going after Mitchell, they have Mitchell on the team, basically. I don't really see the difference between the two. There's a couple of stats that are slightly different, but for the most part, they're the same player. And they're going to garner the same wage at the end of the day if they end up being as good as they're supposed to be. Mitchell has proven to himself to be more of a prolific scorer. I don't know if we need that on this team. I think the fact that they're both undersized two guards and it would leave our team an undersized backcourt the way that we started off in the first place with the the Sexland duo. I'm just totally undersold here. I, I don't know if it's... I think you're right. I think Ainge is going to do whatever he can to raise the value of his player. The rumors from the jump at the start of free agency were that Utah was interested in Sexton. I mean, I, that was one of the only teams that I ever saw being floated. So I don't know if this is both sides now feeling it out. Maybe they want to do a player swap, try to just say, hey, I'll give you Mitchell, you give me Sexton, um, and a couple of other pieces in between. I don't know if this is setting things up for that, but other than just swapping these players because they're disgruntled of their situations and maybe they'll get what they want in another town, I'm very confused by any of this. I still think that they need to kiss and make up with Sexton and just get him signed. And if they're willing to go over the cap for Mitchell, they should be willing to do it for Sexton. They should be willing to do anything to just lock him in and get him closer to that $20 million a year that he wants. And right now, they're, they're saying $40 million for three years. Just give him two years $40 million and be done with it. Just I don't understand why this can't happen. Even let the second year be a player option, like LeBron always had when he was here, and try to mend the fences you know, in this next season that's coming coming up. But all of this is just confusing to me. I also did want to give a, a short shout out to Evan Damerall and Chris Manning, who they do host the Locked On Cavs podcast, but they also write regularly about the team. And they did a great job of breaking down some of the ins and outs of it. It still is confusing in the sense of what you stated, which is just from a fan's perspective, you're you're still looking at a small backcourt that's even more money. <laughs> 
with Donovan Mitchell than you would with Sexton. And as you stated, you kind of alluded to disgruntled. We don't really know if Collins disgruntled. We have seen that Donovan Mitchell is disgruntled because he didn't like playing with Rudy Gobert to the point where there were stats that alluded to Mitchell wouldn't even pass him the ball on the floor. So that's another little wrinkle that I'm just kind of not keen on players who who are that passive aggressive (laughs) that they would negatively impact the rest of the team's play based on how they're feeling about their whole situation. And we understand it's a business, you know. Yeah, I agree. I think Sexton, that's where he and Sexton diverge as far as how you could compare them. I would rather have Sexton's leadership and his, you know, what he brings to the court. I know that he's not going to get you maybe as many points, but I don't think our team is lacking firepower. So there's a part of me that thinks that, yes, you're right, the problems of Utah have been more front and center. And I think from day one, Sexton and his camp have said, you know, we want to get a deal done. We we want to stay Cavaliers. But I've just heard more and more that they're very unhappy and feel extremely disrespected with the way the Cavs have treated Sexton through this process. And they feel like they've been taken advantage of because he got injured and therefore the Cavs could kind of take care of other parts of their their business rather than shore things up with Sexton. So again, I just don't know why they can't kiss and make up, maybe lower it down to a two-year contract with the second year being an option and give him his 20 million that he wants because he's earned it. He's proven it over the years. Give it to him. Um, You know, the only argument I've heard around town are from people that weren't paying attention and think that he doesn't deserve it. And, and really from everybody, every place that I can read or hear It's not that he doesn't deserve it. It's that he's a victim of his own circumstance of, oh, you got injured and so you missed out. People are not making the argument that he is a bad, he was a bad selection anymore. They're not making the argument that he would negatively impact the team if he was back on the Cavs. I think that most people would see it as a positive from the NBA community. But you're right. In this podcast, you are the -the on-the-ground reporter of the two of us. And I have also, just paying attention to kind of the discourse about Sexton via Twitter, there is discourse about what Sexton really is and should we pay him that much. And so I understand why it definitely does come across as that, that he's being disrespected. Are you concerned the team could think it needs to make a big move too soon? How would getting somebody like Mitchell mess up our ability to keep what we have? I mean, I know the article that you had sent me talked a lot about Mobley and the money he's going to be owed very soon. And he will be owed that money. <laughs> yeah, and, and and again, Manning and and uh, Evan Damrell both broke this down a lot. And, and it, it's one of those points that you see where it just cuts through so much of the noise of offseason stuff where getting Donovan Mitchell or a player of that caliber negatively impacts the Supermax uh, contract chances with Evan Mobley. And that's an important thing to note because that's what the Cavs have been preaching as to why they don't want to sign Sexton to a, a large-scale contract is it'll negatively impact Mobley. So to your point, it can come across as disrespectful if Altman truly is trying to p- pursue a player that costs that much money and Sexton's camp 
is looking at that saying, wait a second, I thought you didn't want to go over the luxury tax yet. I thought you didn't want to eat that cost yet. That gets a little confusing and wishy-washy. And I would be a little concerned about that because we've noted in the past is Altman has not had to manage this type of team yet. He's had to manage a LeBron-led team where if you're managing a LeBron-led team, you're dealing with one large superego, where in this case, he's having to try to manage many egos of a young team trying to figure itself out. So I, I would be a little concerned about that. You? Yeah, this Mitchell stuff makes me, for the first time, worried that we're the kids that are not happy with our Christmas toys. You know, like, oh, uh, everything that we've assembled, everything that we've gotten, it's all that we've wanted. But what's over there? What, is, what does he have? You know, and, and I've liked that about the Cavs over the years, that we've been smart in picking up role players and pieces that will fit these young, talented guys that we're saying, no, we're going to build from the ground up. We're going to build through the draft. And then we're going to keep these guys through their career so we can try to build something akin to more of the, the Golden State Warriors, where three or four core guys are just there for their career. This Mitchell stuff makes no sense to me because I could understand them going for a Kevin Durant. I don't want them to, but that is that's the shiny prize that you can say, we don't have anything like that on our team. He's got championship experience. He's, he's a vet. He's going to bring so much to our team that we just do not have, right? If, or if we have it, we don't have it in spades like, like a Kevin Durant. Mitchell is a sexton, so what's the deal here? I know that he can have 45, 50-point games and really excite you, but I believe Colin could have done that too at times if he had been more selfish, if he had been more interested in getting his shot off instead of looking for his teammates. And that's one of the things that's made him so endearing to every Cavalier player and why I believe the team itself wants Sexton back. But the organization is playing the business game too much and they're insulting his side of the business too much for this to end up working out. This Mitchell stuff is the last straw if they truly are going to pursue it. They need to stop and just make, make up with Sexton. For sure. There's still a relationship there with Colin. I think that what you talked about earlier, I do think that Colin Sexton is still a person and a player that we have seen on the floor and off the floor as someone who will still come back and perform at a high level for the team. He's not going to sit there and let some business decisions or some things negatively impact how he performs for the Cavs if he comes back. There's nothing about this kid's makeup that makes me believe he isn't going to come back stronger and better. And if you put a giant chip on his shoulder, look out. I don't want to have Colin Sexton look forward to playing the Cavs for the rest of his career. That's what I'm seeing on the horizon here. Because, you know, there's a reason why he's called Young Bull. Well, very soon he's not going to be young anymore. He's just going to be the bull. He's just going to be that guy that is coming at you. We have nicknames for a reason. You know, they, they follow us around because they're based on our tenacity, our intensity, our, our willingness to drive ourselves to greatness. And Colin Sexton has that in spades. So you want that on another team and you want to bring in a guy like Mitchell to replace him? That doesn't excite me as a Cleveland Cavalier fan. 
This week marked Kevin Love being with the team for eight years. What are some of the highs and lows you remember most from his time as a Cavalier? Well, Kevin Love came in at a time that was so exciting to be a Cleveland Cavalier fan again. LeBron coming back was a dream come true. It was something that you and I had figured he would do, but would probably be towards the end of his career. So around now, his move to L.A. was basically when I thought he was going to come back to Cleveland. And instead, he, he made the jump kind of like what he said. It was like he was gone for a college stint and then came back. I've got my problems with the fact that he had to state that he wanted to raise his family here. And this is just such an important place to be. And you work for everything. You know, nothing is given, everything earned, all that malarkey. My point of going into a LeBron statement is that Kevin Love came here at a time when we really were only thinking about the fact that the King had returned. And yes, it was great that we were getting Kevin Love, but we already had Kyrie Irving, so he really became the Chris Bosh to our big three right away and never really got the respect that you would think he would get coming in from a team where he was the man there. He was scoring 25, 30 points a night and was definitely one of the best power forward, small forward type players in the league at the time. Took a major back seat to that role by coming here and being third fiddle to Irving and LeBron. And every year just about, when things weren't going right, it was always a discussion of trading him. It was never, oh, they should break up Irving and LeBron. It was getting rid of love. We've been critical of him over the years. I would say the long way around to my answer here is that the high for me is that Kevin Love's longevity won out in Cleveland. That even though he wasn't the guy everybody was excited that we got, he's the guy that still remains. And he's committed himself as a Cavalier in ways that I probably always haven't given him enough credit for. He's taken big contracts and been injured and not been able to play for many seasons at, at a time. But his commitment to Northeast Ohio and to being a model citizen and a, a Cavalier that we can all be proud of, he's had a really great career here, minus the injury. And I'm proud of him for weathering all of the trade rumors and the, the difficult times between the, the egos of Irving and LeBron and the fact that he played such a big role in, the, in our championship win. Kevin Love will always be a Cavalier in my mind because of the time he's put in here. And I'm happy that he came here. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was a good summation in, in respect to kind of everything that Kevin Love has had to go through as a Cavalier and even his career. I know he went through issues in Minnesota as well. To like be more specific in respect to the question, I would say the ultimate high, and you alluded to it earlier, is him stopping Steph Curry during the NBA Finals in that Game 7. You know, it, it raised a level of tension to the nth degree when you had Kevin Love isolated on Steph Curry in those final moments of the game and him actually getting a stop against what is still one of the best shooters, if not the best shooter in NBA history. And so that was probably, as a play, his highest of highs. And that would 
that is his the thing he will be remembered as not just as a cavalier but as an nba player is that stop but then to get into what you were also talking about for him to keep playing at a high level going through all the trade rumors going through all the injuries that he's gone through he's had to adjust to expectations he's had to adjust to how he executes as a player how he approaches the game He's dealt with mental health uh, issues as well and has been open about that. He has been a person who was beyond what I thought he would be when we got him when LeBron came back. I was just thinking more of, oh, great, we have a high caliber player like Chris Bosh, what you brought up, and we'll be able to pair him with Kyrie and LeBron and actually have a big three of our own. And he's been able to morph into more than that. Because, yes, he had his issues kind of melding with Kyrie and LeBron. But after LeBron and Kyrie left, he then became a leader for this team, which a lot of folks wouldn't have thought would have happened. And he gave our team and this younger team hope for a future. Kevin Love stayed. Yes, he got paid for it. And a lot of people had issues with how much money he got, but he still was an all-star caliber player staying with Cleveland as opposed to saying, all right, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Trade me tomorrow. And I give him a lot of credit for that. I never had any problem with the money. I had a problem with the years. I just thought they gave him too many years for a guy that had injury issues. So is that how you felt about it too? Yeah, it was one extra year too many. And he deserved the money because he is still a high caliber player. But as you mentioned, the lows are just his injury stuff. But you can't change that. Injuries happen. He ha he has had too many to name, unfortunately. Thanks, Kelly Olenek. He's been able to progress through that. He was a leader this past year. I never imagined him being a sixth man of the year candidate. It's been many more highs as a Cavalier fan. And I think... For me, really, the only frustrating thing I think that I've had with Kevin Love is that he clearly is a high-caliber player, and I've enjoyed what he's done for the Cavs so much that I get frustrated with myself that I kind of I downplay his importance because he's been injured so much. It's it, That's the thing. is It kind of gets foggy because he's been on the injury report so often. The final seconds. Karis Levert just turned 28. Do we remember that he is on the team? Full transparency, I wrote this question because I honestly keep forgetting that Karis Levert is on the Cavs roster. I hope that he's on the roster going into the season because I, I am kind of excited to see how he plays because he played so little for us. But... Happy birthday to Karis. Um, and, you know, maybe for a birthday gift this year, we'll we'll get a playoff run out of you. Karis still feels to me like he's going to be a casualty of a trade of some kind, some package deal. I think especially if we go after Mitchell, which please don't, but if we do, I think Levert probably won't stay. I still have a hard time seeing how he fits on this team moving forward, but I'm certainly interested in seeing it. If he stays, it was underwhelming last season, how he came in and wasn't really used the way we had hoped. 
But I think the fact that we were trying to find a replacement for Rubio, that was just not going to happen. And Levert was especially not going to be that player. If anything, he was a replacement for Sexton that came way too late in the season. And we didn't need that answer at that time. So, yeah, let's find out. Let's wait and see. But right now, it feels like he's going to be on the trading block. With Durant now staying in Brooklyn, does the East run through them? No, I think they still are far too off their rocker. (laughs) How are they going to get everything together in 25 to 30 games to start the season off? I think it's going to take a minute for them to figure out how to play with each other. You know, you got your main guy wanting the, was it the president and the coach or the GM and the coach to be fired? The GM and the coach. (laughs) Yeah, you wanted Kyrie Irving to be traded. You brought in a a guy in Ben Simmons who, who knows if he'll ever play basketball again. He says he will. I believe it when I see it. So, no, they are they a team? I mean, great, they're keeping him. I don't know. If the East goes through the Nets, then the East ends up having a lot bigger problems than we imagined. And the Cavs will end up having a horrible season that you and I will just probably quit this podcast. That was one of your best answers ever, and it was everywhere all at once because that's how the the Nets are. If I'm a Nets fan, I'm, I'm like one morning burning all my stuff the next morning trying to you know put it in a glass case to preserve it forever i agree with you if if the east runs through brooklyn then there are a lot of issues going on with other teams i also think that it's funny that a lot of nba folks think the same way but they talk about it in the opposite where they say Well, the Nets have a really good core around them now, like a lot of good role players, so they'll be able to help with this team. When the Nets acquired Kyrie and Durant and Harden, they were saying, well, the rest of the role players aren't as good, but they have the really good three players. Well, which is it? Are they going to be led by Kevin Durant or the role players on the bench? This is Durant's team, and the fact that you're only getting buy-in from one of the best five players in the NBA a month and a half before the season starts, that's a big issue. Are we downplaying how important the Rubio signing is for this squad? So I brought this up because Greg Schwartz of Bleacher Report said that Rubio was the fifth best under-the-radar signing this offseason. And... It just kind of made me think that we are both, I think, really hopeful that Rubio comes back on a healthy scale and that he is a contributor. At the same time, my thinking is that Rubio is still a really good signing because he will be a good presence for the roster. I think he will still continue to help Darius figure out how to be a lead point guard even more than he is now. And I think that it bodes well for the rest of the organization that Rubio wanted to come back. That has been such a rare thing for Cavs players in the past. You know, sans LeBron, a player would leave and they'd be like, eh, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't think I need to go back to Cleveland. So I think it's a good sign that Rubio sees a lot of potential out of this roster and wants to be a part of that. Ricky Rubio is a professional that almost from the jump 
he's been considered that way. Early on in his career, he's been known as one of the most mature guys in the league. And I think on a team that is considered one of the youngest in the league, and we are, we need that kind of veteran leadership. We saw firsthand not only what his play on the court brought our team last year, but you could also tell how he was getting the team to just calm down in certain situations. And the fact that he and Love had a previous relationship, had played together, that was just a wonderful duo of leadership, of veteran leadership. Um, And I think that the only reason why I have undersold this is because I want to know how severe his injury is. I want to know if he's going to come back 75, 80, 85% of what he was. That's a serious injury. It's a repeat injury, and it will take away some of his explosiveness, which frankly is one of the things that makes him effective in the league. He actually plays very similar to Kyrie Irving. So if he doesn't have that ability to create separation by moving one direction and then the other direction quickly enough, he's going to have to completely change what he does out on the court. And he may not really be that scorer that we saw him being, and he may just become a facilitator only. I don't know. But I do think that he is a terrific re-signing for this team. And you can believe that we're going to get more of the same production from him regardless if that quickness is gone because the production really came from his leadership with these young guys more so than just the numbers on the court. What are your thoughts about Laurie Markin and recently commenting that the Cavs were only slowed because of injuries last season? Is he listening to our podcast? Oh, come on, Laurie. Come on, be a member of the club. Um, no, we were totally in agreement with you. The last two seasons really have been derailed by injury to a degree that the Cavs, I think that's why they're considered still a surprise and that what we talked about in one of the last episodes of their schedule and, uh, oh, they probably won't win more than two games more than, than the year before. I think we're going to surprise people with 10 to 12 games added to our schedule or added to our final total because of those injuries because they've just consistently knocked us down from being the full caliber of team that we're capable of being. And while we've gone through those injury years, we've only added to the depth in the organization. So now the players that have had to play in those spots are coming in with a lot more minutes, a lot more time on the court than they would have seen. And we're going to quickly become a playoff caliber team overnight. And that's what we almost did due to injury. It didn't happen this year. Barring injury, we'll be right there. So thanks, Lori. Keep listening. I don't even know if I would add much to that at all i think that he's also playing internationally for his team he's showing some new wrinkles in his game he recently kind of went viral by bringing the ball down the floor and bodying a dude uh and then shooting a three at the top of the key so Laurie's improving his game the rest of these guys we've seen a bunch of workout videos with darius and mobley and even karis lavert as well as uh, colin sexton If they can all stay healthy and hit the floor and stay on the floor for closer to 70 to 72 games this next season, we both agree that the Cavs will win more games than they did last season by more than just two, multiple games, 5, 10, to even 12. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs! 